So, so I want to I dive into a thought today, and, and we're going to come in in the middle of a story here. First of all, thank you guys for being patient last week and filling out the spiritual gift survey. I know that's, that wasn't typical church, but, but you guys were so sweet about it. And man, we got a, a stack turned in, and uh, uh, Aaron Noblet was so kind to make me a spreadsheet. Now I have to, you know, hey, who's, who's gifted in faith? Because I need some people to believe for some. I, I can just access it and... And you know, who's gifted in faith, man? It'll pull up all you faith folk. You know, who's gifted in teaching, man? We, we got some Bible studies we want to plan. See if God's moving on anyone to help teach. I can pull that up. Uh, so thank you, guys. It's exciting. It's exciting to see what God's doing. But, uh, and I promised you I'd get back to preaching this week. So, so I, I do feel like I have, uh, if you'll just give me a few moments, uh, I want to present a sermon that, that I believe will encourage someone today. And that's what I want more than anything. I want the Word of God uh, to bring some holy information to just encourage and give hope and strength and, and uh, a little bit of light into some situations. So if you're watching from home, thank you so much for joining us on the stream. I uh, hope you're encouraged today. We come in the middle of uh, a, a little bit of some antagonism toward Jesus. And uh, one day a group called the, the Sadducees showed up. Now we talk a lot about the Pharisees and, and their legalistic ways and they were the religious folk. There was also some other religious folk called the Sadducees, right? Uh, that that showed up to try to uh, stumble, make Jesus stumble a little bit in some of his teachings. The Sadducees were actually a little bit more legalistic than the Pharisees in, in a way that uh, while the Pharisees had a lot of rules and regulations and, and they would wash a certain way and, and their diet was a certain way, the Sadducees only subscribed to uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, or the, the Book of Moses, as they would call it. Uh, so anything from Joshua through Malachi of the Old Testament, they just, it, it, it didn't pertain to them. They only believed in the written law of Moses. And, and the Sadducees tended to be much more of the aristocrats of society. They were uh, well-educated. They were business people. They, they were actually the ones involved in politics a little bit more. And so uh, some of the things that the Pharisees believed in, such as demons and angels and the resurrection of the dead, that's all a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. You know, we're too educated to believe in that, you know, uh, ethereal type of Stuff they they didn't believe much in the afterlife. They some of them subscribed a little bit to the concept of Sheol, uh, which you you hear about in the Old Testament, which the the Jews believed was the resting place of the dead. Uh, they weren't exactly sure what took place there, other than when you die, well, you just go hang out there. Uh, there was no not much thought of an afterlife, uh, no rewards or penance uh, to deal with in the afterlife. It just was what it was. Uh, so it was all very practical. And so they decide to catch Jesus, uh, and you know, knowing that Jesus subscribed to the resurrection, uh, and the resurrection of the dead. And so they wanted to uh, catch him off guard with something. And so they present to him a story, and it's actually based on the law of Moses. And the law of Moses, if you are married, if a man is married to a woman, and the man winds up dying but doesn't have a son, then the woman is to marry his brother. The brother is to have a son by this woman. And, and then they, would, they were to name the son after the deceased man so that his name, his bloodline and lineage would continue. 
And so they decide to try to trick Jesus based off of that one law, because that's what they had. They had the law of Moses. And to them, the law of Moses does not talk about the resurrection of the dead. So, so therefore, they don't subscribe to it. So they ask him, they say, Jesus, suppose there's a woman married to a man. He dies, so she marries his brother. A few months later, he dies, so she marries the next brother. And this goes on and on and on. He has seven brothers total. So she marries all, all of these men. When she dies in the supposed resurrection, whose wife is she? She's been married to all these people. And so we come into the situation with uh, Jesus' response, right? Matthew 22, 29 through 33. Jesus replied, you're mistaken. Or you, your, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. <laughs> now, he actually plays within their playground. He's just going to stay within the first five books because that's, that's all they subscribe to. And then he tells them, these first five books, you don't even know them. He says, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. There are two mistakes you've made. You don't know scripture and you don't understand the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Well, the angels, they're not married to anyone, they, but, but they live in a form of perfection. So, you know, when we cross over, we understand. Paul says that we, we have now, uh, we've now stepped into perfection, uh, as, as he writes in his epistles. So, so in that perfection, there is no need for marriage or the giving of marriage, okay? So for all of you who say, oh, I love my spouse, we're going to be for, together forever. Oh, no, not really. You're not. Marriage is for, for this realm. It's a blessed, it's a blessed uh, institute for this life, for this realm. You know, every year I wish my parents a happy anniversary in heaven. Well, in reality, technically they're not married. Now, they may be hanging out. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what they're doing. They may still like to hang out. But according to Jesus, it's, there's not marriage or the giving in marriage at, in the resurrection, Right? That's why they call it heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, guys. Come on. (laughs) Whatever. Y'all can act shocked all you want. You can act shocked. But the best marriage here. I don't know which one of y'all have the best marriage here. I'll say it's me and Erica. Right? I'll say it's me and Erica. Because I'm conceited like that. But even Erica would admit, with us having the best marriage here, it's not heaven. Right? Is it heaven? It's blessed. but, But would you label it as heaven? See, all right. <laughs> so y'all can say what you want to. You can act all shocked all you want. Y'all better get over it because wait till the marriage seminar. It's on that Friday night. I promise you because we're preaching. Anyways, so he says, first of all, you're mistaken. Second of all, you don't understand the power of God. And then he goes on to say, but now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, Haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, now what he's doing, he's referring to the burning bush. He's staying within their their, uh, penitent that they subscribe to. Matter of fact, if you read this account in the book of Mark, he says, have you never read the story of the burning bush? Well, of course they read. So he's jabbing at them. They have read the story of the burning bush since they were probably old enough to read. 
They've heard it at least since they were three years old. He goes, have you never read the story of the burning bush? So God is introducing himself to Moses, which was about 400 years after the death of Jacob. So 400 years has passed. And he says, have you not read where long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, 400 years later, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. And then the, the book of Mark goes on to say, you guys have made a serious mistake, <laughs> is, is how he concluded it. He took another jab at him. So in other words, he said, God didn't say, hey, Moses, I was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He said, I am. That's a present tense, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still exist. 400 years later, they still exist. There's been a resurrection. They're still alive. There is an afterlife. And he said, he is the God of the living, not the dead. He's not, well, I was the God of these folk, but then they died. No, I'm still their God. That's what he's saying. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, most of what I just said to you has nothing to do with my sermon, <laughs> but it does lead up to it, I promise. Uh, and, and I'll make, I'll make my, my, my core thoughts not going to take too long. Uh, the Bible, especially after, after creation, predominantly deals with humanity, human beings, and, and a sliver of history, about 5,000 years worth of history. All the victories and all the developments and all the achievements of humanity and all the lowest of lows, dirtiest of filth that humans are capable of. That's what it deals with. The ups and downs, how God tries to consistently relate here and there through every situation. Imperfect people going through an imperfect world. And it really doesn't deal a lot with science it doesn't deal a lot with politics. And if it does deal with either one of those, it's only in relation to how it impacts human beings. The Bible is about human beings and their relationship to God. And when I was younger, I've been preaching since I was 12. When I was younger, I didn't have a lot of patience for these people in the Bible. Because when you're young, you're an idealist. You remember when you went off to college, man, you're going to conquer the world. Right? You were going to make a difference in life. And same thing when you're a young preacher, man. You're going you're to preach. You don't understand why certain preachers do this, do that, everything else, you know? Uh, you know. I was mentored from the time I was 12 until I was about 46 years old. For 30-something 30, 30 years, I was mentored by Glenn Davis. And there were things I was like, he's brilliant at this. And then there was other things I'm like, what is he doing? Why, is, why does he do that, you know? And, and, and until I was in his position, <laughs> I understood. Uh, but I, I used to not have patience for a lot of these people, you know? Just Samson, strongest man in the world, could take the skeletal jawbone of a donkey, beat the snot out of a thousand Philistine, right? That's a powerful man, yeah! But you lay, you lay your head in the lap of Delilah, you turn into the biggest wimp on the planet. Hey, baby, just cut my hair and I lose all my strength. You big idiot. I had no patience for him when I was a kid. Why did people do, you know, Moses and the, and the children of Israel, children of Israel, watch God part 
the Red Sea right in front of them. They crossed on dry land and then watched God drown the most powerful army in the world at the time. Annihilate them right there. And a few weeks later, they're still fussing about stuff. You think people on next door here in Viridian are bad, man? Nothing compared (laughs) to the children of Israel. You bunch of ungrateful, bunch of ungrateful, you know? Ahab, the king, out of all the women in Israel, you pick Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel, what a marriage made in hell, you know? Out of all the fine women running around there, if you've ever gone to Israel, man, the the young people of Israel, men and women, they're beautiful people. Over there, Israel and Jordan, Lebanon, all that, all of them look like they should be in a soap opera. If you ever get to travel over there, I'm telling you, beautiful people. Out of all the beautiful women, you're going to pick Jezebel. That's the best you can do is Jezebel? You knucklehead. Adam. Adam, right? If I can get my hands on his skinny little neck, I'm telling you, man. I, I had no, no patience as a, as a young person. But the older I've gotten, 13 years of youth pastoring, nine years of being an associate pastor. Now, the second weekend in May will be five years that God brought me here to, to pastor, five years. And after pastoring some of these people, right? No, I'm teasing. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize I identify with a lot of these people. Not any one person but snippets of them, right? The older I get, I realize life isn't quite ideal. I'm not quite as cool as I thought I was. Uh, you know, some, some Sundays I'm like David. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The next Sunday I'm like Hannah. I go up weeping and fretting, provoked by my adversary, and I, I really don't want to go. Sometimes I feel like Solomon with so much wisdom and understanding, with, uh, with no problem too difficult to solve. Hey, let's call a pastoral meeting. I'll fix it for you, right? The next day, I'm like the people of Nineveh who don't know their left hand from their right. Sometimes I feel like Elijah having the power to pray down rain after three, a three-year drought, only shortly after finding myself under a juniper tree asking God, would you please just let me die? <laughs> you know, it's like, like Job. My soul is weary with my own life. Then I'm like David again. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Next, I'm like Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. Then I would weep for my people day and night. But then I'm like Ezekiel. I see the Lord and he's in a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Then I see a valley of dry bones and I'm not sure if it could ever be restored. I've never fully been any of these people. But I've been around long enough that when I look into the word of God, I see bits and pieces of their life in me. So I have to confess. I have to confess. I don't live the ideal life. I'm not the ideal man. I'm not the ideal husband. I'm not the ideal father. And I'm not the ideal pastor. I've not lived the ideal life. And yet, the older I get, the more I long to experience the fullness of God. Not just knowing him in the fellowship of his suffering, but also the power of his resurrection. I need him to be the God of me. I need him to be my God. I need him to be mine. And yet, God, and the reason why I read this whole story is I was reading 
reading through Matthew, and I came upon that, and I understand Jesus just kind of made a fool out of a bunch of Pharisees, and that was kind of cool, but it was the fact that he pointed back to God introducing himself to Moses. Moses! Moses! Man, what Moses, you can't find a more powerful man to the ancient Hebrews than Moses. They thought the world of Moses. Yet God didn't say, hey, Moses, I'm your God. He didn't say that. When he introduced himself, and he does this about 16 times in the Bible. Now, we give God all kind of names. Oh, he's glorious. He's, a, from, he's from, from beginning to end. He's ancient of days. I mean, we get illustrious in our descriptions all throughout the Bible. He's, he's more than enough. He's this. He's that. He's the God who hears me and sees me. But God keeps it simple when he introduces himself. He says, I am the God, and of, of all people, he lists three names. He could have picked any names. He could have picked millions of people, but he said three names. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I need him to be my God. He said, I'm the God of these three guys. What, what an exclusive club. It's like they're the best of the best, right? They're the, they're the elite of the elite, you know, they're, you've got special op, and then you've got the Avengers, right? They're up, they're up there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, how do I, how do I get into this club? Because I need them to be my God. I need them to be real to me. How do I get into this club? Abraham. Abraham. Man, I can't even run with Abraham. The father of our faith. Who has faith like Abraham? The reason why he's the father of our faith is because he taught us how to have faith. How do you have faith? Well, when nothing else makes sense, when God says something, but the world is saying this, well, you just believe God. Hey, Abraham, you're well into your 90s. So is your wife. Y'all going to have a baby. Okay. You know, he just believed him. Not only that, Hebrews says, Hebrews 11 and 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So he's a God of a man who'll leave not knowing where he's going. He's that kind of God. Abraham had so much faith. Hey, I got something for you, Abraham. Really? You ready to go? Yeah. Where are we going? I ain't going to tell you. Okay. That's faith. That's faith. I got to know where I'm going. You know, I don't want to leave the house if I don't know where I'm going. What a waste of time. I got to have GPS, man. I got, you know, we went to Oklahoma, man. We had, we had Google, we had Siri, and then we were like arguing with them, right? I'm like, hey, you know, my wife's driving. I'm like, hey, 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 where are you going? I'm going to Oklahoma. But why are we going this way? Well, because that's what Google says. So, well, why, why is it saying we always go through South Lake to get up there? Why is this taking us to 35E? We go 35 West. What's going on here? So I'm like fussing with, even with GPS, I'm fussing. Yet Abraham, all he had was God. Hey, come on, Abraham, let's go. Okay. That's faith. You know, you think, you think I got enough faith to tell Erica, hey, come on, baby, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. But I'll tell you this, we ain't coming back. You think that's going to go over? Which way are we going to turn? I don't know. It doesn't matter which way we turn. We don't know where we're going. Right? I don't have that kind of faith. I wish I had that kind of faith. And I'm the faith preacher, man. I've had to live on faith for the last almost half decade of my life. And even with that, I still fight the good fight of faith every day. You know, I still, even though God has shown up in incredible ways in my life, I still sometimes struggle to, to trust him. So I can't, it's awesome he's the God of Abraham. I can't compare to Abraham. 
right? And then Isaac, the God of Isaac, he, he was the promise of God. He was born into a promise. Isaac had pedigree, man. Abraham was his dad. I don't have a pedigree. You know, there are a lot of preachers that I hang out with. They're, they're second, third, fourth generation preachers. You know, they, they've got stories of, I can tell you, uh, uh, the Bates family. The Bates, some, some, of, uh, some of you went to a uh, uh, conference with me last year, met uh, Kevin Bates and George Bates. You got Kevin Bates, George Bates, George Bates uh, Sr. So three generations of powerful men of God preaching the word of God. Man, they got stories coming out their ears, right? You know, my, my grandfather was a preacher, but he, but he preached at his, his he was a, a, an associate pastor at the local congregation that he, that he attended there in Augusta, Georgia. Nothing wrong with that. You know, but I don't have a pedigree name of stories. I can't, matter of fact, I don't really know a whole lot of stories about my grandfather preaching. By the time I came along, he, he had retired. He had had a stroke. And, and uh, I got stories of my grandfather, but not in ministry. You know, I don't have a pedigree like I, Isaac was, man, he was born into a promise. He was the promise. How crazy is that? Matter of fact, Abraham, you got Abraham, he had so much faith when he got the promise, Isaac, and God said, hey, by the way, I want you to go kill him now. Sacrifice him to me. Okay, <laughs> he goes up and it said, because he had so much faith, he knew, God, you said you were going to give me a nation through this child. So if you want me to sacrifice him, I guess you're going to resurrect him too. He had enough faith that he knew God would resurrect him if he had to sacrifice. That's crazy. And then you got Isaac who's like, oh, I'm, okay, I'm the promise. Sure, I'll lay down on this altar and let you kill me. You know, what kind of crazy people are this? I can't compare to that. I love the promises of God. I, I encourage others to live on the promises of God. In the Bible, there's over 7,000 promises that we can trust in, right? I've sang about it. Growing up, we, we talked about leaning on the promises of God. We sang about it. But there are times that until Isaac is born in my life, I have a hard time believing for him, right? This man walked in the promise of God because he was born into it. I can't compare to that. So he's a God of a man who's got crazy faith. He's a God of a man who will walk in his promises. That's awesome. But he's also the God of Jacob. Praise God that he is the God of Jacob. I am thrilled to inform you he is the God of Jacob. Because if Jacob can be saved, anybody can be saved. Right? He is the God of Abraham a man of faith. He's the God of Isaac, a man of promise, and he's the God of a supplanter. That's what the name Jacob means, supplanter, heel grabber. When he was born, his brother Esau, his twin brother Esau was born first, and he was hanging on to the heel of Esau as they're pulling him out of the womb. He's the supplanter. Jacob, Jacob was a mess. Jacob didn't have an easy life, mainly at his own hands. Anyone remember the story of Jacob, right? Matter of fact, Jacob was a struggler. In Genesis uh, chapter 25, verses 21 through 22, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. From the time he was in his mother's womb, he was struggling. He was fighting. He was wrestling. 
Esau, man, he was getting Esau in a full Nelson right there in the womb. He was struggling with him. He was poking him in the eye. He was punching him, giving him a little, little elbow jab here and there, getting him in the leg scissors and just squeezing him. He was just fighting, just struggling, struggling, struggling. He's a struggler. So she went to God and said, but the two children struggled within her womb. So she went and asked the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And in our struggles, we do the same thing, don't we? Why is this happening to me? He is the God of a struggler. So for just the remainder, a little bit of my message today, if you're going to give this a title, you can call it the God of a struggler. The God of the struggle. The word struggle means something is trying to crack you or break you or bruise you or discourage you. If you are continuing in that battle, that means that you are a struggler. And some of you have found yourself there, that there is something that has repeatedly tried to break you, bruise you, try to get you to, to quit, but you are still struggling. That means you haven't thrown in the towel yet. And that describes Jacob. He's not only a, a, the God of a man of faith, he's not only the God of a man who will walk in his promise, but he's the God of a man who will struggle and won't give up. Amen? Anyone with me still? He's a man, he's the God of someone who just will not throw in the towel. Jacob didn't even know what he was doing half the time, but he just wouldn't let go. He was fighting with his brother in the womb. And his brother's like, dude, we're about to be born. Would you let go of me? And he's, nope. He's still hanging on. He's still fighting his brother, even on his way out of the womb. The only reason God could find to give credence to Jacob on this list, he said, I'll be, I'll be Abraham's God, because that man's got some faith in me. I'll be Isaac's God, because he's walking in my promise. But I am Jacob's God too, because that boy fights like no other. He struggles, he gets knocked down, and gets back up, and he won't quit. I'll be the God of that man too. Praise God. Now, I can run with Jacob. I can't sit at the same table with Abraham. I can't attend the same parties with, with Isaac. But man, I can have me some pizza with Jacob. Jacob's my kind of people, right? Because he just... You know, he gets knocked down. Everything he does, he makes a big mess of. But man, he will not quit. He's not going to let go. He is the God of a struggler. The only credentials he had is that he, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't quit. He struggled and he wouldn't quit. He's the supplanter. When he finally got, ran out of his home. You remember, it wasn't that he was the brightest guy in the world. Matter of fact, Esau, the Bible says that Esau was loved of his dad. Jacob was loved of his mother. Esau was the great outdoorsman, the great hunter. He grew up with a bow and a staff in his hand, learning how to fish, learning how to hunt, learning how to camp. Jacob grew up with an apron on and a pot and a spoon, watching Emerald Lagasse videos. He was learning how to cook. He was learning how to take care of the home. His mom taught him how to do all this stuff. So someone would say, ooh, he would have made a good husband. And yet he winds up robbing his brother of his birthright, tricking his dad into giving him the firstborn blessing. When Esau found out, he's like, 
jerk of, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. The sucker wouldn't even leave me alone. I couldn't get a, any break from him when I was in the womb. When I was trying to be born, I was trying to have a glorious birth. And he kept grabbing my heel. And this whole time, and now he's, he's gone and he stole my birthright. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And so his mom tells, tells Jacob, said, you, you need to leave. You need to go to, to, to your uncle's house, my brother's house. Head out that way. You better leave. And don't you come back until you hear word from me. So he takes off. Remember the story? He takes off. He finds himself in a wilderness. He ain't got no sense. He grew up in the kitchen. Esau's the one who's used to going out camping. What does Jacob do? Jacob goes, he says that he used a rock as a pillow. Who does that? He had no sense about him. He didn't know how to camp. Oh, it's time to sleep. Oh, I guess I'll get this rock. Look, they got, they got cypress trees and pine trees over there. I've been over there. Could have at least gotten him some pine needles and made him a little bed. No, he's just using a rock. And yet God's like, this boy ain't giving up. And he looks down and he sees him using a rock as a pillow. And, and you know what God did? He gave him something that he didn't even give to Abraham. He didn't give to Isaac. He didn't even give to Moses. He gave Jacob at that spot. He felt so bad for me. He said, look, that boy's going to need some help. <laughs> he gave him a ladder that stretched from heaven, earth all the way up to heaven. Had angels going up and down. He gave him a, an earth to heaven connection because he said if he's going to make it, he's going to need some heavenly help. Not only that, he's the first guy who, the struggler was the first man who actually got to go to church because he woke up and said, "Woo, this is the house of God. He's the first man that got to go to the house of God. First man to ever get to attend church was the struggler. Isn't that something? God, didn't, God honored the struggler over the man of faith, over the man of promise, the man who just wouldn't give up. He didn't get it right all the time, but he had enough audacity the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up every time, the Bible says. Everything about him, everything about him was a struggle. His whole life, he shows up at his uncle's house, running for his life. His uncle says, oh, hey, yeah, you can stay here and work for me. He winds up getting taken advantage of by his own uncle, right? He sees, he sees Rachel, falls in love with her. His uncle Laban says, oh, yeah, you can have work for me seven years and I'll let you marry her. She's beautiful. Her name meant doe or little lamb. She was so pretty. So worked seven years for this woman. Finally gets married, right? It must have been a crazy reception because he wakes up the next day and it's Leah, the older sister. You remember that? Leah, it means her, her, she, she means, uh, her name, Leah means weary. So, so the Bible says she had tender eyes. In other words, she looked weary. She tired. She had apparently some kind of lazy eyes or something, right? And he wakes up, thought he went to bed with Shania Twain, woke up with Mark Twain, <laughs> right? So he says, he said, what have you done to me? He said, hey, look, hey, look, 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 it's not our culture, it's not our culture that you should marry the younger sister first, so that just wouldn't be right according to our culture. So I, I had to do this. So, so you can have Rachel, a matter of fact, I'll let you have her, just give, give me a few weeks, you can have her as your wife, but you've got you to work another seven years. Well, he didn't quit. He kept working. He worked 14 years for a seven-year girl. Now, that man, he wouldn't quit. Not only that, he struggled. You remember, he struggled with God. You remember that story? He wrestled with God. That's what he did. He was a wrestler. He was struggling with his brother, wrestling around, horsing around with him the whole time in the womb, wrestled him out of his birthright. He's on his way back home. You remember this? He's on his way back home. And 
there's God, or, or there's Esau coming to meet him. The last thing he heard 20 some odd years earlier was Esau was ready to kill him. For all he knew, he's about to get killed. So he sends his family, his wives and his kids one way, and he goes this way to meet Esau. And he winds up encountering God and wrestling with God. Anyone ever felt like you had to wrestle with God? Or am I the only one? <laughs> you ever felt like you're just wrestling with the promises of God? And that's the thing, as, a, as your pastor, I would take it from you. I would tag out. Some of you are going through some things and you had me praying with you. I would tag team with you if I could, right? Like, hey, tag out, let me in, come take a break. And I'll hop in and I'll get them in the, you know, get the iron claw on them as best I can or do whatever, right? But the problem is this, you got to wrestle with God by yourself. Jacob had to send his family away and he had to encounter God all by himself. And even then, God couldn't get him to stop God told him, the Spirit of God said, the angel of the Lord said, would you let me go? It's almost morning. Man, you're killing me. It's almost daybreak. We've been fighting all night. And he said, nope, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. He even touched the hollow of his, of his uh, uh, hip socket. You remember that? Knocked his hip out of joint. He walked with a limp the rest of the week. So you ain't going to let me go? Let me try that. He, all he had to do was touch him. Touch him. Pow, ow. What'd you do that for? You gonna let me go now? Nope. Not until you, even with a hip dangling out there. He wouldn't let go. And God finally said, you know what? Tell you what, you win. So he beat God? Ow. I think it's a little like this. You know, uh, Eric and I went up to Oklahoma this past week to go see the Grand Bays. Well, Lily, my youngest, went with me, right? 11 years old. And she started, in the hotel room, she starts wrestling around with me on the bed, right? Like she used to when she was like little bitty. And, and at some point, she eventually pinned me for the three count, right? And of course, I'm like, oh, baby, you still got it, man. You just beat your dad up. Look at that. Still got it. Well, part of it was the fact that she was connecting with me. And that's what it was. God just wanted Jacob to connect with him again. And he wanted a chance to speak into his life. And he tells him this. Let's all stand. That's going to make y'all feel better. Preacher said, let's all stand. He tells them this. He says, look. He said, you've been called Jacob all your life. Not anymore. You're now going to be called Israel. The word Israel means to wrestle with God. <laughs> to contend with God is what it means. And he says, you have contended with. He said, I'm calling you Israel because you've wrestled with God and man, and you've won. Go back and read it, Genesis 32. God tells them this. You wrestled with me, and you won. Did he really beat up God? No, it's like me telling Lily, oh, you won. All right? You wrestled with me, and you won. You're no longer the supplanter. You're the one that you're stubborn enough to wrestle with me, to fight me. And you had enough audacity to ask me to bless you. And I gave in. I'm going to bless you. And when it came time for God to call his nation after any of these men, he didn't say God didn't lead the children of Abraham out of Egypt. 
He didn't lead the children of Isaac out of Egypt, but he led the children of Israel, who was Jacob, the supplanter. Praise God. He is your God when you are full of faith. And there are days you are going to be full of faith. You'll be so full of faith, you'll, you'll be ready to enter hell with a, with a water pistol and take on the devil. And there, there are going to be days that you stand on the promises of God, that you get a hold of a promise, one of those 7,000 promises, and you say, God, I'm not letting go of this because you promised me this, and I believe that over everything I'm seeing. But there are going to be days that you fight and struggle and you get knocked down and you still get back up. There are going to be days that you get discouraged, but you still don't throw in the towel. Praise God that he's your God when you have faith. Praise God he's your God when you stand on his promise. But praise God he is your God when you struggle. And not only that, in those times, he'll give you a ladder. He'll give you a heaven and earth connection. That you won't be alone. You may be fighting with him all night. But I promise when he gets a hold of you, you're going to be walking different. Because you can't encounter God and not get changed. Because he is the God of a struggler. If you're in here, I don't know what some of you guys have struggled. I know what some of y'all are struggling with, trust me. Y'all have had me joining you in prayer. And I see you hanging in there day after day, week after week, waiting on the promises of God. I've, I've, I've gotten the phone calls at night. I've gotten the texts in the wee hours of the morning. But you're struggling. And that's good. Because God honors Jacob. He'll honor a man who struggles but won't give up. I'm not going to let my discouragements, I'm not going to let my failures, I'm not going to let anything make me quit. I'm here for the long haul. He's the God of a struggler. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you haven't given up on us. I thank you, Lord. Lord, I praise you. I praise you for everyone who struggles today. Because <laughs> it means they still have fight. It means they haven't given up. And also know that at the end of the wrestling match, you've, you're going to bless them. And you're going to change them. Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. There are going to be some folks that are forever changed for your good. And through Jacob, Lord, you, you were born through one of the sons of Jacob, the Lion of Judah. Thank you for being the God of the struggler. Encourage us today, Father. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are your next steps? What are the next steps you can take from this? Here are the next steps. You want to know what to do with this information? Step one, don't quit. Step two, don't quit. Step three, don't quit. Amen? Amen? He's the God of the struggler. Let's worship one more time together as a family. If you need prayer, I'll be over there. Or grab your neighbor. They're just as anointed as me and full of the Holy Spirit as I am. Find someone to pray with you if you need prayer today. And we'd be honored to stand with you. Stand in the gap and agree with you in faith. Amen.